welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, if you got your Bibles, we've been going through the book of Ephesians and last week, we, we covered a section where Paul has basically told us that, that the Lord is taking him through a point to his life that he is a steward of God's grace. It's his job to hand out God's grace in this ugly world. He was also a minister, and it was not a, not a word that, uh, that was used at the time. We automatically think, you know, religion when we hear the word minister, but, but the word that Paul used was a, was a word uh, diakonos, which means waiter or servant. Paul basically takes a word that was found in the culture, and he used it to explain what God was meaning and how it applies to our lives. And in Ephesians 3.7, Paul starts out and he says, I become a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. It basically took uh, uh, God's power to, to change who Paul was, uh, you know, to, to get to, uh, Paul to a state where he could say, I, I, am, I can hand out God's grace. I become a servant. And when Paul said these things, he did not say these things in a, in a very haughty way. He said these things in a very humble way. He said, I'm the least of, of all the saints. I'm the biggest sinner amongst you guys. And he really means it. And Paul was not a meek, I mean, he was a meek guy, but he was not a weak guy. Don't think that just because you're, you're, you're being humble, it means weak. We can be comfortable who we are. We can, we can be comfortable about where we are. We can be comfortable about what God has called us to do. So as we get comfortable with the way that Paul is, is talking, we start to understand that, that, you know, we start to get a handle on, on what God has for our own lives and where we should be. Handing out grace. All of us handing out grace. To be called ministers, to be called servants. And if we, if we begin to model this in our lives, we start to see a change within our own life. And we start to pray to the Lord, you know, what ministry should I be involved in? What ministry inside the church should, should I be doing? What ministry outside the church should I be doing? Because we all should be a you know, part of some type of ministry, and some people would be like, oh, that's, that's pretty heavy-handed, Pastor. You know, it kind of sounds harsh. And I would say, well, then read the Word of God, because the, the Word of God calls us to become servants, to wait on other people, to, to, to be concerned about others. And I say, if you've got a problem with that, take it up with God. Talk to Him about it. But once you, you know, once you get a, a, a pulling, a, you start to feel this pulling to, to get involved somewhere that the Lord has placed on your heart. Maybe it's a f certain family. Maybe it's a, a certain type of ministry. Maybe it's a certain place. It, you know, it, it usually has something to do with your giftedness. And the Holy Spirit has gifted us. Once we become Christians, the Holy Spirit has gifted us. And now the many times the Lord may call us to something and we go automatically, our response is, well, I, I'm not sure I'm gifted in that area. And my response to that is, take a step. Because once you take a step, you might understand that the Lord is, is wanting, you know, you have this gift in you that's not been developed, it hasn't been worked out. We're going to talk about working out today, but, but, you know, he wants to reveal things in our lives, and it takes us to take a step. It takes us to, to, to trust in the Lord, so we need to not hold back. 
And the problem is the majority of us hold back, don't we? Either, either we got involved at one time at, at whatever place we were going to and somebody made us mad, somebody upset us because you know, they wanted to do it differently than how we saw it would be done. So we, so we just step back and we just kind of stay there. And you know, I've often talked about this before, about uh, how my father, you know, it's been a year since my father's passed away, but, but on his deathbed, he looked at the, the pastor that he'd never met. He still went to the same church that I grew up in, but he got mad at the pastor 20 years ago. So on his deathbed, you know, he's coming in, you know, the, the pastor's being gracious. Here's a man that, that technically doesn't even go to his church, and he goes and visits with my father, and my father looked up at him and says, I apologize to you. And the pastor's kind of like, <laughs> you haven't done anything this first time I met you. Why are you apologizing to me? And he goes, I should have been involved. I shouldn't have quit 20 years ago. When we quit, when we don't get involved, you know, it, it doesn't allow us to have the blessing that God has given us. We all want a blessing. We all want to, you know, we all want God to say, this is, I bestow this on you. You, you know, you're having a great life. I, I'm going to provide for you in this area and that area. But we also sometimes don't want to do the things that we need to do for God to bless us. In other words, to be in his will, to, to be in his calling, to, to, to fill the pool of the Holy Spirit and then to respond to that. Verse 10, he goes on, it says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, I mean, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now that is a mouthful. We're going to have to, to slow down and, and pick that apart because, you know, Paul has said that, that the Lord has called us, that, that he wants to reveal in us. And what Paul is dealing with here is the whole Jew-Gentile conflict. For us, as, as we become Christians, we become a part of the Jewish culture and the Jewish family in the New Jerusalem. We are adopted into being Jews. Now some people are like, oh, I'm not a Jew. Well, God says, I've adopted you into my people. Well, who are his people? The Jews, right? But we understand the, the difference is that we believe in Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God, and we've, we've accepted him into our lives. We've been adopted into this. But even today, the Jews and the Gentiles, you know, the, you know Jews are like, man, Gentiles are not accepted by God. They shouldn't be accepted by God. Paul felt like this also. In fact, he was arrested for even saying that God was for the Gentiles. We are included in Christ. And he says that, that, you know, that, that the Lord, it takes a manifold of wisdom of God. Now, I had to look up this word manifold, because when I hear manifold, I automatically think of car. You know, car manifold. I'm sitting there going, manifold? What, what do you mean? It means multifaceted, multicolored. In other words, something's very complex. The wisdom of God is like a beautiful diamond that is multifaceted. Have you ever seen a beautiful diamond, the light on it the right way? I mean, beautiful colors that come out of that. The wisdom of God is like a rainbow. It's multicolored. It's very complex. However, he says here, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What he's doing here is he, he's agreeing with what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1. 
He said the, the Lord has used the church over the centuries to reveal, even to the angels, things about himself that they did not know. Things about God that the angels did not understand. I mean, it's kind of fun to, to, to think this through for a second. You were involved in teaching angels something about God. Now, for most of us, we, we can't even imagine that the Lord would, you know, take us and that the angels would learn anything from us about God. But they do. It means here that something is revealed to them where they just kind of scratch their head. They're just kind of like, I, I, wow. You know, think about it from an angel's perspective. Imagine the night that Jesus Christ came and was born on earth. And they were like, he's born like one of them? I mean, he didn't even go down as an adult. He was a child. You know, one of those things that cry a lot. I can't even believe that. That's what the angels are saying. The angels have traveled the universe to the end of the universe. We can't even see the end of the universe ourselves. We think it expands. We have all these scientists that say it does this and that, but we don't actually know. We've never seen it. One day, the heaven and the earth will pass away, and he is going to create a new one. Wouldn't it be neat to be able to see the whole universe? I mean, have you ever thought about this? Are you looking forward to it? Well, if, if not, maybe you haven't even thought about it. Maybe you haven't even fathomed it yet. You know, maybe some of us, we're just kind of homebodies. We don't think outside of that. You know, I used to think that during my lifetime that NASA would get to a point where we could all go and experience, you know, weightlessness and, 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 and being in space and all that, but <laughs> I'm not so sure anymore about that. But the angels, they've seen everything. They've been to heaven. They've been in the presence of God. They've seen the, you know, the, the, the magnitude of who God is. They're very intelligent. And yet, to understand why God came as a little child, as a baby, to be with us, to be born like us, to love us, makes them scratch their head. Then to see him crucified. Talking about confusing the angels. To see God's wisdom is that he loves us. Now, when we think about that, Lord, do you love me? I mean, do you really know about me? You act, Lord, like, like I'm somebody special. You act, Lord, like, like you know, I'm really something. Like I'm going to do great things. When really all I've done here is, is fail. All I've done is, is mess up in my life. Yet he keeps you know, signing us up to do stuff for him. And the Lord uses us to teach the angels. And we just go, wow. Verse 11, it says, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished. And here the word accomplished is that past, present, or future. It's past. Which he accomplished in, the Christ, in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, or in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with a freedom and confidence. Now, if you're a note taker, I got A, B, and C here. And you know that if you've been around for a while, you know I'm not one, two, three, A, B, C type of, type of teacher. But A, B, C here. You have access, you have boldness, and you have confidence. Repeat them for me, okay? Access, boldness, and confidence. 
we have these three things that Paul just kind of throws out there. And if we were just kind of reading this by ourselves, we would just fly right by them. Access, boldness, and confidence. So first, let's talk about access. We've kind of talked about our access before to God, that, that we're allowed into the, to the throne room. We're allowed into the presence of God. We're allowed to go to God and talk to him. We all kind of know what access means. But think of it like this. Around here, we have, we've rekeyed the place when I first came, and we've got different levels of access. Different keys will open up different doors. And I don't know if, you, you know, you can hear conversations and stuff. Some people get irritated that their key won't open a certain spot. In fact, I mean, uh, Josh, our, our, you know, he comes up and does the drummers. Many people don't know these are actually his drums. So he actually has a key to this facility. And somebody much older than him has been around a lot longer than him, doesn't have a key to this facility. And they're kind of like, well, why does he have a key? Well, his drums are in here. That's why he has a key. He needs access to them. Or think about it like this. How, many, well, how do you wear a badge to work? There's a few. Okay, there's three. There's several. My wife has different badges to use at different places as, as she goes and does different consulting, and they allow her in a, to certain places. I've got a friend of mine that, that needs a security clearance. He, he works up at the um, uh, Lawrence Livermore National Lab. And every year, his name is Mark Vigers, and, uh, you know, and every year the FBI does a background check on him, and they come in and, the, and, and they, 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 you know, they did the heavy background check right when he got it. But then every year they go back and they, they kind of watch him. Literally, there's guys that sit out across the street and watch him. I know it kind of drives his wife a little nuts. But they'll, you know, they'll call me and say, okay, how long have you known Mr. Vigers and all this stuff? And, and once he was actually talking to, he was fixing to do another interview, and and the only woman he ever talks to on the phone is his wife. So at the end of the conversation, he hangs up and his wife looks at him. His wife had him be sitting there, looks at him and goes, why did you tell that lady you loved her? Because, you know, how he says, I love you at the end of the conversation. She was just pulling his leg. But he went into the meeting with the FBI lady thinking, I told this woman I loved her. What are they going to do? I know, it has nothing to do with this. But I thought I'd throw this out there. I mean, think about the Secret Service guys that just got in trouble down in, you know, down south. In another country, they had their access clearance pulled. Therefore, they no longer can work for the Secret Service. So technically, they're, they're shoved out. They're fired. Access. Now, I flew this week. I went to, to Florida, to Orlando, to a conference. And, uh, you know, it was a really long line on getting back in to, you know, the airport. You're standing there and you got to, okay, I got to take off my shoes. I got to take out my computer. I got to do all this stuff. But there's this one line. And people just keep walking by. They have special access. It's so irritating. I'm like, sure, you got wings on your shoulder. Yeah, they call you pilot. But get in the back line, buddy. He had special access. So how does this relate to us spiritually? Imagine if our access to God was based on the security check on our past. Now, how many of you think, you know, how many of us would pass that security test? This is why, this is why we have access to God based on Jesus Christ through him. Whose photo is on our security card, our access card? It's a photo of Jesus. Whose barcode is, you know, whose information is associated with that barcode? Jesus Christ. Whose fingerprint is in the system? You know, we put our fingerprint on there, Jesus' fingerprint comes up. We have access. Jesus, through him, I have access. Now, the problem is I take that for granted too often. We do that as Christians. 
because it's never revoked. Nothing is in between us and God. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, an interesting thing happened about a half a mile from where he was crucified. In the Holy of Holies, you had the holy area that, that several priests could go into, and you know they would. You had the showbread, you had different things in there, and 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 sometime we'll, we'll hit that again. We did hit that when we were in Exodus. We talked about the the temple, but you had this one area that multiple priests could go into. But then there's the Holy of Holies, and it had a curtain. And I'm not joking. This curtain is huge. It's thick. It's like I, I want to say it's 15 feet worth of curtain. You know, I mean, it's just curtain upon curtain and all that kind of stuff. But it prevented anybody from accidentally going into the Holy of Holies because they would be zapped. They would be dead. Only the high priest could go in there once a year for a few minutes. The high priest could go in there and represent my sin and make atonement for my sin. It was called Yom Kippur. And you hoped that the priest would get atonement. Then he would come back out and there'd be a huge celebration. Everybody would be all happy and you'd feel great until maybe that afternoon or the next day until you sinned again. And then you knew that, man, my access to God is cut off. But through Jesus Christ, on the cross at 3 p.m., the very moment he said, it is finished, the curtain tore in two, not from the bottom, but from the top, and it just tore in two. And all of a sudden, Access was granted for everyone. We could all go into the presence of God. Now guess what happened? Religion got involved, and what did religion do? Sewed that curtain right back up. Because that's what religion does. So now the big question is this. Which is more exciting? That we can go into the holy and holies and be with, be with the Lord or that Jesus can come inside of us and make us the temple, because that's what the Bible says, that we are God's temple. Both are awesome. This is the kind of access we're talking about. So the next time you enter a key, you know, that password into a computer, or use that special key that only fits your lock, or maybe that card that you've got to swipe by the electronic door to let you in, let it remind you that we need to celebrate each and every day that we have access to God. So access is A. What is B? B is boldness. Now, this is not arrogance. It's not the same thing at all. You can't be arrogant to the Lord. The word Paul uses here deals with Greek and Roman politics here. The word means freedom of speech. And the NIV uses the word freedom, and I'm using the word boldness. It's, it, it's the same concept here. The Roman citizen had this freedom of speech, just like Americans had this freedom of speech. And, and, you know, a lot of people are all concerned about, you know, whether freedom of speech. And, and I don't, you know, we have freedom of speech except for when it comes to church and state. And then we've got to separate the two, and you don't have so much freedom of speech. But we had this freedom of speech before the Lord. This is amazing because back then, you know, the, the Roman citizens, they had freedom of speech, but it's not like you would go into Caesar and, and rebuke him. You would never rebuke the king. You would never go into the guy in charge and just land blast him. But you know what's amazing? You can question God. That's what's amazing to me. You can shake your fist at God and go, why is this happening? And God's not going to strike you down with lightning. That's how gracious our God is. You can say to God, I hate you. I don't understand. And he's like, I know, I know. Come here, let me comfort you. And he draws us in. 
You know, I've been raised, that, and many of us have been raised in the church that, man, you, you don't really tell God how you're feeling. You have these memorized prayers that your parents taught you or the church has taught you, and you've got to say your prayer just like, you know, I grew up with guys, I mean, they, they could pray. You're sitting there going, wow, man, I wish I could pray like that. And, and while that is worthy, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking that. But man, we've become to a point where we become afraid to tell God how we feel. You know what the best kind of, uh, the best kind of prayer is? The best kind of prayer is, is the prayer from our heart. It comes from inside. It's when we're vulnerable and we go to God and we tell him everything. It's like a really good, healthy marriage. You know, I've been blessed. I can tell Lisa uh, anything. I've been married 18 years. Had some good conversations during that time. But sometimes I will say something and, and then, you know, before I think. And I'm like, oops. I know it's hard to imagine. I'm so polished up here. But I don't go to my wife and say, my most gracious earthly wife, I come to thee today to talk to thee about. That's not how I talk to my wife. But that's how we treat God for some reason. This is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the freedom to say anything. I can even say it wrong to my wife, and my wife still loves me. And so does God. I can talk to God and not say a speech. I'm sure that the Lord gets so irritated with us sometimes when we go to God and he's sitting there going, great, I'm glad you come to me, Alan. Now, now what's on your heart? And I start in on a speech. And the Lord's like, I want to know what's on your heart. Think about it. He sent his only son to die for us. Yet we keep that relationship with God, you know, the, the heavenly relationship this way. We keep that relationship so formal. No, he wants to be our friend. So A is access, and B is boldness. And what is C? C is confidence. Some of us in our lives, we have no confidence whatsoever. Now, others of us, we don't have a problem in that area. But some of us, we, we have a low self-esteem. You know, whatever happened in our lives, and, and, you know, we've been beaten down over time, but God wants to give us this supernatural confidence, not this arrogance of strutting around, not this, I'm better than everybody, and, man, people ought to come to me because I'm really, you know, I'm really a godly person. I don't understand why people aren't listening to me. I mean, I'm godly. Not that kind of arrogance. But the confidence to be able to say, I am okay. In Christ, I am okay. Man, I, right now I'm devastated in life. But guess what? In Christ, I am okay. I can get through this. So this is what it is to have Christ in us. A, B, and C. Remember those. So you come to your church and somebody asks you, what did you learn in church today? You can say, I learned my ABCs. So verse 13, it says, I ask you, therefore, and therefore means because of everything we just talked about, or everything I just said in this letter, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your, which are your glory. Remember, Paul is in jail. In fact, most of Paul's ministry, he is in jail. He is locked up. He is chained up. You know, it'd be a bummer for him, and especially the others that are around him. And it'd be like going, well, where's Pastor Allen today? Oh, he's over in Cochrane Prison. 
Well, when's he getting out? Oh, we don't know. But he wrote us this letter that we're supposed to read. This is what it was like for Paul. Where are we meeting Paul today? Well, I think it's down in cell 12. He says, for this reason, verse 14, I kneel before the Father. What is Paul doing for us? He's starting to pray for us. Picture this. He's in a jail cell. He's attached to guards, and he's dictating, uh, you know, a letter to, to, his friend, you know, to his friends that are dictating, writing down everything Paul has to say. And he just gets so overwhelmed, he starts to pray for us. Now, guess who had to kneel down with him? Well, the guards that were attached to him. He had one guard on this arm, one guard on this arm, another guard by the window, another guard by the door, another guard outside the door, another guard by the gate. Because that's how the Romans did it. Because if anybody escaped, guess who took the, uh, you know, the, the, the sentence of that person escaped? All those, that were, you know, all those jailers. So they had multiple people there. You could imagine that these guys, those that have come to the Lord, that have been around Paul for a while, they've been guarding him, starting to understand his heart, and, and some of them might even kneel down and prayed with him. It says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his, fa- his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of our glorious riches he may strengthen you with a power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I don't know about you, I grew up in Sunday school, deep and wide, deep and wide, deep and wide. Some of you are shaking heads. Okay, good. You're on the same page. You don't want me to keep singing. And to know this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do measurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, his power that's at work in us. To him be the glory of the, uh, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, did you catch the end there? Who is he praying for? All generations. Well, who is that? That's us. Think about this. Paul is praying for us. 2,000 years ago, he sat down to dictate a letter. In the middle of the letter, he stops and he starts praying for us. And the guy's sitting there writing it all down really fast as Paul's praying. He's full of the Holy Spirit and he knelt down and he prayed for you. This is powerful. Jesus did the same thing. It's called the Lord's Prayer when it should be called our prayer. You know, he taught us how to pray. So this is powerful. So let's go back and look at this. In verse 16, it says, I pray that out of, the, out of his glorious riches. Now, we kind of talked about this before. How much is rich? Think Bill Gates and then think, keep going. That's how rich he is, his riches. He may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being. The word strengthen in the Greek is used for the Olympics. I pray that you would work out through his spirit. Now, how many of you work out? How many of you should work out? Okay, good. We're there. Now, the Lord has a, has a sense of humor. So literally, I, I, 
wrote the last line of my sermon. I got finished. I was like, oh, good, I'm done now. And, and then I go and play with my son because I've been gone all week and I hadn't been around him. And, and he's out playing and stuff. And, and he grabs a three-pound weight and he brings it into the kitchen. And I'm cracking up because the Lord's sitting there going, he wants us to work out and, you know, through his spirit. So he starts, you know, playing with it. I'm thinking he's not going to be able to pick it up because he drug it into the kitchen. So he starts picking it up, both hands, and all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. And then it falls right back down on the ground. He's working out. And then he grabs this long tube and he picks it up over his head and plays around with it. And I just have fun putting pictures of my kid up there, you know. So if you work out this week, let the Lord remind you that he's trying to work out through his spirit in your life. I pray that you would work out in the Holy Spirit. Your muscles need to be strengthened. Now, how is this done? It's done through repetition. You know, okay, I've done my set of 10. Good, I'm, I'm ready to go eat chips and salsa. And he's like, no, no, no. You've got to do a full workout. You've got to go through the whole thing. Your heart rate, you know, you, you need to get that up there. Man, when our faith is tested, does your heart, you know, when your faith is tested, does your heart get going? Maybe it's out of anger. Maybe it's out of just irritation. Maybe you're just like, I'm just antsy about this. You know, it's almost like, man, pastor, if you'd known how much stress that this was going to cause me. You know, Paul, Paul basically says that is great. I'm glad that you're stressing out. I'm glad you're working out your faith. Because, because consider it all joy because the trying of your faith, it produces stuff. And what is that stuff? Inner strength. It gives you soul muscles, for lack of a better term. Would you like to have some soul muscle today? There's only one way to get it, and that is to work out your fa- salvation with fear and trembling. What is Jesus saying here, that you need to work to be saved? No, he's already done that. Once you accept Christ in your life, you are saved. There's nothing more to do. But he is saying, you need to work out your relationship with God. That involves stressing these these spiritual muscles. It, It involves taking steps of faith in our life. If you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, you need to start taking steps of faith. I dare you to do that. I double-dog dare you to do that. If you want to grow, you know, we're like, oh, Lord, I'd love to be like so-and-so. I'd love to, to have faith like so-and-so. I'd love to have the prayer life like so-and-so. Man, we, we get together in a small group and start praying, and man, you, you just hear them. It sounds like they're connecting with you. You know, great, I say. Call them and ask them how they got their lives to that point. And they will tell you, it took work, it took time, it took, it took uh, being with the Lord to be able to come to that relationship. That relationship came to be but, uh, you know, because they started responding to God. They started taking that next step. You know, times, it's a, it's a very uh, you know, aerobic relationship following the Lord. It's the same thing over and over, and then all of a sudden it involves diet. You know, you just can't expect to eat all this, you know, all this extra food and all this processed food and all this stuff and then do a 15-minute workout and, and, and expect to accomplish anything. You have to drink water. You have to eat your vegetables. 
Now we all get this, we all understand this in this physical concept, but we need to start relating this to the spiritual concept. Jesus is our water. We need to spend time with the Holy Spirit. We need that, that to cleanse us through his very nature, washing us, purifying us. Then we get a desire for the meaty stuff, not the fatty processed stuff, not the frozen, but the fresh food. And the fresh food is the word of God through the Holy Spirit being implemented into our lives. Right when the Lord is trying to, to work on us, to produce spiritual muscle, what is our tendency? Our tendency is to whine a little bit, right? Why? Well, we didn't think it was going to be this hard. I mean, following Jesus. You know, somebody told me if I just follow Jesus, my life will just be, be wonderful. And it is when we get our mind off the world. But it doesn't mean that while we're in this world, it's going to be totally just, you know, floating down a river, just enjoying nature, having a good time. It becomes hard. You know, we kind of get this concept of if I follow God and I do this, therefore God will do this. But come to find out, the New, Cav uh, new Covenant only has one mandatory thing for us, and that's accept Jesus into our heart, that he's the Son of God and he died for our sins, and that we want to follow him. That is it. Now, when we follow him, life does get easier in certain ways. It will, you know, we start to learn that, man, if I go down the same path, I keep getting in trouble. So maybe I not, you know, shouldn't go down that path. Maybe I ought to change my ways on this one. But we still get attacked from the enemy. However, the Lord allows tough things in our lives. He allows us to be sifted because he loves us. And we're going to be, in the next several weeks, we're going to talk about sifting. And, and I love what, what the Lord says to Peter. Lord, I mean, <laughs> he says, Peter, Satan has come to me and asked to sift you. And instead of the Lord saying, and I'm going to protect you, I'm going to be walking along, I'm going to do all these things for you, the Lord says, I prayed for you. That's it, I prayed for you. And we're going to talk about that sifting. But he loves us so much, he allows us. And if we, you know, if he hadn't gone to the cross, we could complain, right? And if he hadn't gone through the end and, and really done what he did, we could complain all we want, but we have no right at this point. The Lord has the right to come into us when we call him Lord and work us out. Don't try to skate through the trials of life. Talk to the Lord. Why am I in this mess, Lord? Is it something I've done? Is it decisions I've made? Is Satan trying to, 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 you know, to attack me? Are you testing me, Lord? What is going on here? See, the things that we go through now may just be the training for the real thing to come later. You know, sometimes the light at the end of the tunnel is actually a train, and it's heading right for you. And I say, let it happen. And then try to pray. Try to go to the Lord. Try to, to allow the Spirit to, to, to come into you and to teach you. And don't turn it into a wine session. Verse 17, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's a good one, isn't it? It's a lot more peaceful. The working out part, I'm not so sure of. But Christ dwelling in my heart. Yep, I like that one. That means if we could see the window of your heart, 
We'd be able to go in and, and see Christ in the living room that's sitting in the lazy boy chair, eating with you, enjoying your life, walking around with you, checking things out. And, and we almost get to a point where we feel like he's snooping. I mean, you know, we want to try to keep him out of our closets, right? I haven't cleaned those out lately. I don't know what's in those. I, don't go in there. You ever have someone come for a long visit? My grandmother did this once. It was my dad's mom. So my mom was not too happy about it for the whole duration of the trip. We had to clean out all the kitchen cabinets. Grandma came in and said, oh, this place, we need to clean it all up. So clean out everything. Oh, and this doesn't belong in this. This goes over here. Well, my mom for 20 years has been used to it here, not over here. My mom was not too happy about that. Not to mentioning the rewaxing of the cabinet that turned every little mark. I mean, four boys. Think about how many marks were on the cabinet. They all turned black after we, old English. That's no way to bake bread. You need to do it this way. Now, Jesus is not like this. He, he, it may feel like this when he comes into your life. Because he, what he's trying to do is get rid of the things that are bad for you. Not change everything around. Sometimes it's changing everything around. But really, he's coming in and going, okay, this is really bad for you. We need to change this. So, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in, in love. Rooted is the word of a tree and established is, is a building word, an architectural term. He uses two different metaphors here in the Greek. Rooted in love. It's that soil that's been, been, been worked through. You know, that soil that has all the nutrients. And, you know, you've got to love this. Spring is here. And, and you know, you've got to break up that soil. You've got to get the weeds out. That is what he's trying to say here. I've made the soil just right. Now let your roots grow deep. Rooted in love. Not that old compacted ground. Because then... By my love, when the storm comes into your life, when you start getting blown around, you may bend, your, you know, your limbs may bend, but you, you know, the whole tree doesn't break. Now established, established in love, is a building term. It means foundation. No earthquake can hurt us. That's what it says. An earthquake comes, it may chip off our stucco, it may knock a few boards down, it may crack a few windows. It may mess up our landscaping. But what matters the most is if the engineering of the foundation, for the engineer to come and say, hey, that foundation is still good. That's what matters most. This is what Jesus is saying. He connects us so that when the world shakes, we may shake with it, but in the end, we're still solid. Would you like to feel solid today in Jesus? Well, this is what Paul is praying about us 2,000 years ago. Being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and, how, and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. To know his love. When you can't explain why Jesus loves you, but you know that he does. When you can't explain why Jesus wants to use you to change somebody's life, yet you know he does. That's what we're talking about here. The width of his love involves everyone. Everyone matters to God. Did you realize that? 
And we've been kind of talking, joking around about the last few weeks about, you know, if you save that person that, that really irritated you at work and you brought the love of God into their lives and they came to this church, man, you'd have to sit on the other side of the church because you really can't stand them. But God loves them anyway. That's how wide God's love is. The length of his love. His length is through eternity. The depth of his love to the gates of hell. The height of his love all the way to the throne room of God. Verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all, the, all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is in, at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now let's review just for a second all the things that Paul has prayed for us. He's prayed that we would have soul strength. He's prayed that we would work out our inner muscles, that Christ would dwell in our hearts, that we would be rooted in love, grounded in love, that we should get it, that we should understand his love, that we'd be filled with the fullness of God above everything, anything that we could ever imagine or ask for. Now that can be your walk with the Lord. If it's not, then either you're walking in religion to begin with. Or you haven't been working out. Man, I would love to be able to lift a lot of weight. I'd love to be able to do some of these, you know, things that these younger guys do. But I turned 40, 41. I can't do those things. I haven't worked out enough. If you're looking around at somebody and you're sitting there going, man, they're, they've connected with the Lord. Well, maybe they're working out more than you. It's not that they're better than you. It's just that they've worked out a little bit more. I say start working out. I'm going to pray that the prayers of the Apostle Paul would be answered in your life today. That you can have that same type of relationship that the Apostle Paul even has. Let's pray. Lord, we read your word and we, we look at some of these guys like Moses and Paul and Abraham and we think there's no way we could ever get to that relationship that they have with you. Yet they were men just like us. There's women in the Bible that are just like us. Think of Mary and Martha and their special relationship. You want that relationship with each one of us, Lord. And in through your sifting, through your working out of our faith, May we not run from the hard things in life, but may we look at them as a challenge, a working out, that we can get to that level of relationship with you that we start to understand what this life is about. That it's not about the here and now, that it's not about the, the thing that I'm going through now, that there's a bigger picture in this life, and it involves you, and it involves the people that you love. And I pray that we, when we go through those hard times, we rely on you, that we look to the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, that we are rooted in your love, that we are established in who you are. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you, and may he never turn from you. And he won't during those times that you need him. He's right there. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. There's a great message on...